Welcome to the Education Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you'll hear part two of my conversation with Joe Peterson Adams from Oxford College of Emory University. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. You are about to hear part two of our conversation with Jill Peterson Adams from Oxford College of Emory University. Please be sure to listen to our previous episode to hear part one of this conversation. Um, now, going back to one more thing that, well, what you are currently doing, which is um, you're directing the global learning and undergraduate research you know, programs. Um, global learning in 2020. In I know! What are you doing? Yes. So, okay. Um, a lot of waiting and hoping. But so there, you know, there were these like major pandemic related moments that shifted the landscape and then shifted the landscape again for what, from what my work is. And so we had students who were actively abroad in March, you know, on spring break travel components as the pandemic was unfolding in the US and borders were closing. So there was really interesting experience, like getting them back, working with their parents. I mean, we knew we had to arrange a whole lot of risk management before they went to even mm -hmm. think about traveling in March at all. Mm -hmm. But so like that was kind of the first wave. And then the second wave was everything's canceled. What do we do? You know, like at that point, it was just like, nobody's going anywhere. You ain't going nowhere, Bob Dylan. So coming into spring last academic year, you know, I think in terms of academic years. So coming into this spring, spring 2021, we were trying to figure out like, okay, there are still a lot of ways to explore, discover, explore, reflect, still several ways to explore from home. People are tired, they are isolated, they are video conference fatigued. What can still be done to kind of bring that, that light back into experiential learning? So one of the things I tried <laughs> And this is part of why I love the ePortfolio um, option within my own teaching is I was supposed to take students to Japan. Um, I was supposed to take them in 2020. The Olympics were canceled. My Japan program was canceled. I was supposed to take them in 2021, canceled. So I was like... I still want to offer this course and I still want it to have this applied experiential learning component. What can I do? And I'll get to this in a minute. I'm not arguing that they're the same or that you could replace an on the ground experience with a virtual one. But the, for me, the creative process of trying to think about how can I do as much of an immersive experience in the virtual space? And then how can I help students make meaning? Like do, that reflective component. And I thought like, well, okay, there are so many resources through podcasts, through um, 
video blogs. How could I bring in some of those things where you have vloggers actively touring sites that were open in 2018, but still looked like that? Um, how can we read um, websites that are still being updated from people on the ground, even though we can't go there? How can we bring, like my colleagues, scholars, activists, colleagues from Japan into the classroom virtually? Mm -hmm. So it started with those questions. But then I was like, okay, but this is a visual culture class, visual and memorial culture. How can I then get the students to think about reflection and generation or regeneration of ideas using multimodal composition, using images, layouts, captioning, incorporation of a variety of media. And so that is where the ePortfolio really brought it together for us. Mm -hmm. um, because there were lots of different little components that all came together in I called it a travel guide because I wanted it to sort of be like riffing on that genre of if you take a very high end global tour of X place and they give you your itinerary and whatever nicely packaged, it looks so pretty. I wanted them to kind of build on that sort of bougie thing in a reflective multimedia kind of way where they were applying, <laughs> you know, our concepts and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it still followed like, day one, day two, we're going to go here, we're going to go here. But then they took us there um, in the portfolio. You know, like you had the the media components, you had yeah. them unpacking. Mm -hmm. uh, they're like, you know, like, here is this map. You'll notice it's organized spatially in this way or mm -hmm. the route takes you through this certain narrative. And then here's a video component of someone doing that or here's a link to... Um, you know, like a 3D immersion in a museum exhibit or whatever. And they would take you through that while having to think about what colors am I using? What fonts am I using that fit my material? How can I block out the tech? You know, like all of these composition questions that are important in a variety of fields, but also um, in visual culture, you know, like where we're really talking about, like this stuff is it's fraud, it's political, it's related to identity, like it's not neutral. So how can you employ it um, and kind of stake your claim on this space? So that was one way um, global learning looked. And the thing that I learned from that, and I definitely wouldn't have expected because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at the other end, like there are early adopters, and then there are like cave dwelling troglodytes and I'm definitely on the troglodyte side. Like I just am not um, pro technology for technology's sake. And that's a caricature, but it's like something I, it was a prejudice I had. Through this experience, I realized like, whoa, 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 whoa. The virtual space is doing something really interesting and really different. And now if I teach as I'm supposed to, the same course in the spring where theoretically we'll actually go to Japan in May. 
I am still going to include some of those virtual components because I think it illustrated so many interesting things about how we see things and how we navigate space and how the students can plan their time on the ground and then how they can reflect on it and do mm -hmm. kind of a, a meta analysis, bring it all together right. when they are finished traveling. So now, like I'm hoping in the next iteration to bring it together, the virtual and the mm -hmm. physical and kind of realize where some of that bleeds together. I, I love that. It's so first of all, congratulations. You are so creative and I, <laughs> I, I have a, I just have this, uh, um, you know, feeling that your students must have loved it, even though they couldn't be there. I mean, look, we all know what the situation is and was, and uh, that you still provided a window where they could get to see, you know, the other side of the world is pretty special and magical. And and but at the same time, there is something. As you were describing that, I kept thinking like there's almost like this weird science fiction, you know, sort of almost like almost like archaeological. Like, what if like we dig back into what we could find on the internet in 2018 and figure out what the world looked like back then, you know? And um, it's pretty. It's like it's actually kind of like super fun in in a in a. Um, like I said, it, it almost feels like a science fiction class, you know, like, like, you know, if you are from like 2080 and, you know, the world, I mean, global warming had taken place and, you know, you want to see, hey, what did Japan look like in 2018? Guess what? Yeah. This might be, this, this, these are the actual, you know, ways to do them. <laughs> yes, totally. And actually, like, one thing that I realized is, I mean, with Japan in particular, since you brought up the Olympics earlier, mm -hmm. is, so let's say we are not getting to travel until 2022, or God forbid, 2023. And so I'm having them do some of these virtual things that were put on YouTube in 2017, 2018, 2016, to prepare, to get familiar with a space, mm -hmm. to talk to us about its significance or whatever. And then they get on the ground and they're like, it doesn't look like I thought it looked. I can't <laughs> navigate it the way I thought I navigated it. Like realizing like in just a year or two years or instantaneously, mm -hmm. that space changed. Um, and like just that helps us see in terms of visual culture, it helps us see even that you know, vlog tour is constructed, you know, people are making choices, they're leaving things out, but also like the world keeps changing and we have these moments where it gets frozen. And that is kind of how they, this is science fiction in Jill's brain, but you know, like that's how it gets sort of solidified and like, that's not reality because it's already moved on. So I love that stuff. Yeah. I think that's, that's really cool. Now I have heard, this rumor that you also are an expert martial artist. <laughs> oh, hardly. But did I feel pretty excited about karate being in the Olympics? I admit it, I did. <laughs> so you, you, are, you are a practitioner of karate? Yes. So I, during graduate school, I trained in a particular form of karate for many years. Then I, w I didn't go to graduate school where I live now, so I moved to where I am now. And that lineage, you know, martial arts loves its lineages. That lineage yeah. didn't 
no one was training in it down where I am now. And so at that point, I was like, I, I loved my form of karate. I did not want to change to a new form of karate. So I was like, if I'm going to keep doing martial training, I need to do something totally different. Um, and so I went into kendo, which is Japanese People say Japanese sword fighting, but there are a few different kind of sword fighting or fencing type martial arts um, coming out of Japan. It's one of them. It's one where you actually hit each other with sticks. There are others where it's like more about sword drawing and things like that. This is one where you hit people with sticks. So that was wonderful. I did that for a couple of years. Um, I guess I have just kind of like a soft, mushy head. So I had a couple of like concussions and things. It wasn't Kendo's fault. It's not normal for people. Um, one of them wasn't even Kendo related, but it made it hard to do Kendo. I walked into a tree, Jeff. That's a true story. And so I just, in being kind of forced to be like, okay, martial arts is still important to you. Kendo, maybe not going to work out for you long term. So then I went into another form of karate and that's what I'm training now. So I, I love engaging expert is not, not true. That is a, that is a vicious rumor. But you are an active pr practitioner. Mm -hmm. And yes. have you, I, I, and I don't want to put you on the spot. So if, if it was too far fetched, please just, you know, go, we can go to the next topic. But have you learned? I mean, I know very little, um, aside from what's on, you know, movies, you know, about, um, about martial arts. Um, but are there aspects of your practice that have um, made you a better learner? Do, you know, has it, has it informed you pedagogically and as an educator? Oh, I love that question. Um, it's not too far afield. It's just unexpected and unusual to be asked it. Um, so, you know, I mentioned that I started karate during grad school. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be easy to just say, like we all know, that exercising during periods of high stress and intense brain use is important. It's important for mental health. It's important for our bodies. But I don't think even back then that I fully appreciated how much it wasn't just the outlet. It was the discipline and the centering and the, the kind of sort of um, like you were talking about with Olympic athletes, not that I was at that level, but the way you're having to recalculate, recalibrate, train through something that's very difficult, see the other side, come back to it again, review what you've done. How can I do that better while strengthening your body? Like, okay, I'm going to do these calisthenics or in karate, there's kind of a tradition of a whole bunch of like training apparatuses, you know, stuff you punch, stuff you pick up, mm -hmm. um, stuff you hit. And that all of those things come together in what it means to do that martial art. I, I do think, I don't think it's too much of a stretch. I mean, it might seem kind of touchy-feely, but I really do think it's true for me that that helped me understand integrative learning. It, under, it helped me understand that 
the scholarly work that I do is embodied. Um, and so like my own body limits how I work, um, how I teach, but also that um, the things that I teach are themselves embodied, that people in bodies are doing these things and that your body dictates how and when and whatever, like how you do them. And that that's important theoretically, like in terms of philosophy that I work with, like I care about the kind of interaction between bodies now. And I, I feel a hundred percent like I didn't care about that stuff before I started doing karate. I just didn't think about it. Now I do. And as um, time has gone on and now I have trained in different arts, I think all kinds of other things have come in to my awareness and appreciation. You know, like I was saying, these lineages are so, they're sedimented, they're important, mm -hmm. right? but they're constructed, you know, like mm -hmm. they're constructed through the stories told, um, mm -hmm. through the politics of the time and the politics of transmission, all of this stuff. So like that is directly aligned with the kinds of stuff that I teach. And I have to <laughs> remind myself, you know, like, eh, you know, your founder is not necessarily your founder. You know, like an important figure, maybe yes, if it, if that figure was even historical, like was actually existed. Um, so those kinds of things are important reminders. And then I think the third thing that where like martial arts and teaching and educating kind of came together was actually I had cancer a few years back, and the way that that experience, that very embodied experience helped me kind of reconsider. I mean, I trained the whole time as much as I could help me kind of reconsider like my embodiment in the classroom and as a scholar and accepting my limits and where can I push through? Where can I not push through? What do I learn from that? And how can I better support students in understanding their own learning process, the limits of embodiment. Like, I feel like I was trained, and maybe you were too, in an era of like, you enter the classroom and you leave everything at the door. And I realized like, I couldn't leave stuff at the door. You know, like I still had to stand up in front of people when I was weak or whatever. Mm -hmm. And maybe it wasn't fair to expect students to either. And so there are still ways I try to talk to them about professional presentation or consider your audience when you're considering sharing, like especially in their portfolios and things like that. But just martial arts has been the anchor for a lot of those things. And I think it has also anchored the connection between my body, my personal life and my academics, both teaching and scholarly. That was a long answer, but it was because you caught me unaware as I had to think my way through it. Well, first of all, it's beautiful the way you think. Um, and I'm glad that we got, thank you. Yeah. I'm glad that we got to witness that. Um, and, um, now you mentioned, I mean, I can't help but, you know, uh, you got concerned that you said that you had, you had cancer a few years back. Are you all better now? Yeah. In the way that, you know, I think once you've had it, you kind of always live under the sign of cancer, but yeah, I'm, I am well, thank you for asking. Well, I, I'm really glad that you had, um, survived even though going through it must have been um you know must not have been easy 
thank you. But it did help me kind of think about how I wanted to talk to my pre-med students about the mm. humanity of medical practitioners. And mm. I feel like when I talk to them now, I am able to bring in concrete aspects from that experience that I hope are things they might take with them into the medical field. Yeah. Well, those are the, those are exactly the kind of things that students, um, student need, you know, like we were talking about sort of the, the difference between liberal arts and, and just, you know, learning something that's purely skill-based, you know, and, um, your pre-med students is going, are they going to need your experience that they can hear from, you know, from your advice, um, as much as they need, you know, their sort of hardcore medical school training, you know, um, from what's in the books. Yeah. The story I like to tell them is one of the oncologists who, when I was in the waiting room, I saw this picture of a neuron on the wall, but it was an art picture, like not just a not like textbook a kind of image. Yeah. Right. And I was like, that's interesting. And I went and checked it out and I realized it was created, like, you know, it was signed by the doctor, the oncologist I was going to see, like he had displayed his own art in the waiting room. And I was like, oh, this bodes well. And then when I was in, you know, like the exam room, there were these huge Monet pictures, but it wasn't water lilies for viewers who are familiar with Monet and the very famous water lilies. It was the obscure, these obscure Monet pictures that I love and I was like who would pick this for an exam room who would know to pick this for an exam room Mm -hmm. you know so I realized first of all that I was caricaturing this medical professional unfairly Mm -hmm. but then also like what that did to me in terms of feeling about you know my relationship with this medical practitioner um my appreciation for his appreciation for these other areas that he could bring into Mm -hmm. the practice and realize that they would affect his patients. Like it was just so cool. And then I found out that he was um, a field medic, like a military field medic before all of that. And I thought here is a person who's brought together such a variety of experiences and like brought them into his practice. And that's something I kind of want to help students see that it's not like this beeline toward your boards and your residency and your fellowship like you gotta bring these other things in because you're going to have clinical patients and family members from all kinds of places does everyone walk into his waiting room and care about the monet on the wall like no i'm sure not um but yeah it's just one example that i like to give them um of like hey think think about the uh the surrounding mm-hmm. and be very good technical masters of your um medical knowledge too <laughs> i just imagine is... all kinds of free time for them that they don't have <laughs> but, it's not really fair but this is why um you know this idea of integrative learning or interdisciplinary studies is so um wonderful and so important um you know, they, they sometimes do. I know that it, it appears to people like this feels touchy-feely and feels too, 
you know, like soft or like, oh boy, we're, you know, I hope we're not paying for this, you know, uh -huh. class. but this is the class that you want to take. This is the, this is the, these are the experiences that, that actually help shape your life in different ways. I think that that actually is another place where I like how ePortfolio software can come in. Mm -hmm. Because I think um, one of the things that I do, it wasn't so much in the, the course that I was talking about before, but in my discovery seminar, my first year seminar, I do a lot of work with students as they are um, crafting their portfolios to say, bring in what you're hoping your professional trajectory would be, bring in connections to your other classes. And I think that then you have a professional artifact that fits with these other areas that they might basically value more, you know, like their intro bio class is maybe their priority in terms of their time and their effort and whatever, mm -hmm. but to make those intentional bridges and then, think about how you're going to mm -hmm. present that helps them reflect on their journey through that path. Like, and it can be very concrete skills related stuff. You know, like I, I learned about why data visualization is important um, and not neutral. I can imagine, um, that this principle of visual culture could actually go into the organization of a spreadsheet that makes meaning out of that data better or whatever. I don't know that that's going to sell their parents, but it, I do think I'm getting a little bit better at helping students see like, it's not that your humanities class is over here and your science classes are over here. Like they can be more Venn diagram me. Um, and where that happens is in the process of connection analysis, reflection. Um, and I like to use the portfolio for that, but you could do any kind of reflective activity to help these first semester students start building those connections. So it just becomes part of their habit. Mm -hmm. Now um, we'll, we'll wrap up in, you know, with, with this. Um, and I've sort of been asking a lot of uh, our other education scholars about it um given you know especially this last year year and a half of um covid and you know george floyd and 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 then maybe even going further back in just in the last few years you know the um you know things like uh, uh the me too movements um and 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 all of that I feel like there are students today, you know, students going into class today in 2021, you're going to have a bunch, batch of new students coming in. Um, I feel like that they're, they're going to ha come in with sort of a, a very special and a very different set of perspectives. Um, I don't have any like really sort of grand question about it, but just to, just, just want to get your take. This is like before your semester begins. What are yeah. some of your expectations? What are some of the things that you are thinking about um, welcoming students coming out of this period uh, of, you know, everything from, uh, uh, you know, there's also the political pieces too. We, I didn't even mention, right? Um, how, how are you thinking about, you know, uh, 
how are you welcoming these students? What are the kind of mindset do you think they're going to come in with and what, what do you hope to achieve? Yes. So a huge question, a few things recognizing that our time is coming to a close. One is recognizing that um, assumptions about the students really need to be suspended. More than ever, we're having students come in from a, a wider and wider variety of life experiences over the last two years. I have to recognize that many of them may have also deferred entry into college, you know, taken a gap year or possibly attempted college and the pandemic environment was too difficult. I had so many more students than usual have to leave last year for medical reasons, and some of them will be re-entering, but basically anew. They never were on campus. We have second years who have never seen our campus. So I think we need to be, um, I mean, as always, but whatever, more intentional and careful in our welcoming, in our establishing community, in our thinking through supports. I am prepared as an advisor to support a, a wider variety of questions, concerns, feeling kind of adrift, you know, like a little bit more separated maybe from what you thought you wanted to do or how you thought you could do it or whether you feel prepared or whether you feel like you can be successful. And just taking that slowly, but also the people are coming with these areas of urgent concern, like college is not feeling frivolous to anybody and um, the degree to which that would have ever been the case has a lot to do with privilege, of course, but now I'm finding that even um, very privileged students are coming very gravely concerned about thinking through race and class and violence and politics that have shaped their privilege or shaped their experience. So one of the things I am um, thinking through right now as I plan the discovery seminar is how can we unpack the arrival to campus from many different positions from all around the globe, from many different experiences and think about how to bring them safely, I mean, safely for the student into, into the light in their work. How can you cultivate an educational experience that allows students to address those questions of ultimate concern? I guess it's kind of like my driving question right now. I'm still working on techniques, um, some of the skills development for how to mediate or how to support difficult conversations in the classroom. Um, but for me, in terms of how I teach and how I see the Discovery Seminar functioning in relation to this milestone portfolio that they'll do in their last semester, I think one of our concerns, a lot of us that are working with the milestone portfolio is like, hey, Maybe you don't have a narrative of growth and triumph and overcoming. You may feel like that's what you're supposed to deliver. How can we um, stop that 
and not say, you have to say you came in feeling unprepared or undeveloped and you got to the end of college and you felt prepared and fully formed, you know, like that is not the point. How can we take it down to a much more concrete level of here were a variety of experiences, some of them good, some of them not. Here is how I processed them and what I tried next. But like, there's no perfect arc or full closed circle um, in this experience. And I think that that trajectory um, or spiral or whatever spatial metaphor you want is going to be even more fragmented, even bumpier. And like, how can we acknowledge that and think that maybe good things will come from having contended with difficult stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, I know that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult question, but I think you answered very, very eloquently, but there's also this sense of, look, we have to figure it out. I mean, the students are going to come in and not just students, everyone coming. Yes. In, you know, we, we have, by definition, gone through a severe trauma, yes. um, right? Um, with a, in, in fact, life-threatening uh, trauma and seeing other people, you know, going through life-threatening trauma um, and maybe having families and friends um, going through that and maybe losing them. Yep. Uh, and, 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 and severe isolation, a sense of, you know, like, um, uh, you know, what we take, at least in the United States, for, for granted, which is sort of a lot of, you know, like always being like free to move around, free to travel, free, free to do all. We didn't have that, you know, for, for a period of time. Um, and, um, you know, even if we take away um, some of the other, the other things that also are happening in parallel, um, it's, you know, at a minimum, we can say that this is your base point you know, coming yeah. in. And, um, and, and I, I do think that there is, as educators, um, working with students, you know, um, if they are especially traditional college age, you know, this is a, is, is a very important uh, time in their, you know, development, de- developmental schedule, really. And 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 um, trying to work with it and 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 think about the mental health um, aspect of it and and all of that is going to be incredibly challenging and important. And I hope that you um, and other educators um, will get to put your heads together and 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 make it all work. And but I really feel like that the it is exactly the type of thinking and the approach, the creative approach, the, 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 the willingness to allow students to express themselves and uh, allow them to bring in different experiences together and make sense of them. This is what I think above all going to be the most um, useful strategy and probably the most beneficial strategy for students to, to heal from this trauma. Um, and uh, probably for all of us too. So I, I hope that uh, your semester goes smoothly. I know you're going to have all these new students coming in, and I hope that uh, travel will, will resume again so you can get to um, take your students to Japan, and then you can get to do this uh, really fun um, sort of uh, 
you know, comparison, you know, like, you know, the, you know, with what happened last year and, and then maybe able to learn from that and merge what you, you got in the virtual sort of uh, uh, world, you know, using your portfolios and, and, and to and, and try to try to merge that with the, the physical travel. Um, but uh, uh, I, I just wanted to, you know, say thank you for sharing all of this wisdom. Uh, I really feel like that uh, there are probably many educators, hopefully, I hope that many educators like you, um, you know, facing these same questions this, you know, this fall. But I also hope that, you know, those who are um, maybe either struggling or trying to, you know, not able to figure out what, you know, how to deal with all of this, you know, can take a, um, can take a, some, uh, some ideas out of this conversation and uh, bring it to your classrooms and uh, uh, because I think that your students will really benefit from it. I hope so too. And I think even if a point of this conversation has led you, the viewer, to or listener, to think that is totally not how I would do it or I, I could not handle doing that. Are you kidding me? That that too bring helps you bring something into your classroom for the for the fall and going forward. All right. Well, Jill, it is really just, it's lovely to, to have met you. And uh, I hope that you come back and join us again at some point in the future. And I will, um, uh, you know, keep keep an eye on what's going on with the, the global learning and undergraduate research at Oxford College at Emory. And, uh, and I hope that uh, we continue to um, see more of that. And maybe at some point, you know, talk to some of your students as well. Oh, I would love that. You would love yeah. hearing from them. They're a yeah. great bunch. But thank you so much. I bet. Okay. All right. Hey, thanks again. And um, take care. You too. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Alvinicius. Thanks for listening.